Our doctor is in, and so are the doctors of Capital Health. Welcome to the all-new Health 411. Every Sunday morning at 10, Dr. Jonathan Karp, along with our respected panel of guests from Capital Health, take you on an important medical journey to help you navigate your health and the healthcare system. To reach your destination, good health. Health 411 is underwritten by Capital Health. Minds advancing medicine. Capital Health is the region's leader in providing progressive quality patient care with exceptional physicians, nurses, and staff, as well as advanced technology. 107.7 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com, proudly nominated for a National Association of Broadcasters 2019, 2021, and 2022 Marconi Award for Best College Best College Radio Station, as well as a winner of the 2023 IBS College Media Award for universities under 10,000 students. We are broadcasting from the Bronx All Digital Studios at Ryder University. Welcome to Health 411. I am Professor Jonathan Karp, and this Health 411 program is presented by Capital Health. In Health 411, we discuss a variety of issues affecting health and wellness, public health, healthcare policy, and the science of health and healthcare. Our goal is to expand your knowledge and your perspective. Today, our student producer, Daniel Geller, and I are joined in the studio by our guest, Dr. Loesa Bonilla. Dr. Arturo Loesa Bonilla is at Capital Health Medical Center, and he is board certified in medical oncology and hematology. Welcome to Health 411. Thank you so much for having me. Great to be here. And what does somebody who is board certified in medical oncology and hematology do at Capital Health? Yes, uh, no, that's a uh, yeah, interesting question. So as you know, uh, we in medicine, we specialize in different kinds of diseases or, or procedures. And um, I focus on adult patients, right? So I did internal medicine training first, and then I subspecialized. So as I follow patients, uh, you know, on, in their adult lives, I manage diseases that affect the, you know, the blood, um, which is what the hematology side of my board certification is. And I also uh, manage patients who have cancer of, you know, other organs beyond the blood. Uh, so uh, that's the oncology part of it. So I'm basically a specialist in cancer and also in benign hematology issues. So when people have, you know, for example, hemophilia or they have blood clots, uh, that's the, the benign quote unquote hematology expertise of mine. Uh, but I'm basically the, 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 the person that you need to see uh, when you're an adult and uh, dealing with, with cancer of some sort. And for students who might be listening, because here at Ryder, we have a lot of students who want to go to medical school. How, what attracted to you to this area of medicine? What was your path there? Yes, yeah, so my, my path is uh, interesting a little bit, um, you know, started very young. So I, uh, I, I'm originally from Colombia, so I, uh, I went to medical school at 16. So it was pretty, oh, wow. I, I barely knew what you had for breakfast, um, mm -hmm. but I knew I wanted to be a doctor because uh, my grandfather. Uh, so my grandfather, uh, he, he was a very proud man. I uh, had raised nine kids on my mom's side and, and, and had, it was a great example for me of life. But he never wanted to go to a doctor. And it was such a pain. I was just like trying to get him to go just to get checked. Uh, and uh, he suffered from gout at the time, which is a very normal, you know, manageable disease to handle where, you know, you eat too much red meat or too much, you know, sometimes beard or or cured meats. And then you get a pain uh, on your, your foot or certain joints because, you know, the, the uric acid crystallizes and causes a lot of pain. 
So instead of using, you know, diet exercise or, or using medications to lower the uric acid, he took, uh, you know, uh, things like Advil, like uh, NSAIDs, what we call non-steroidal uh, drugs. Mm -hmm. And that actually affected his kidneys in the long run. So he ended up in dialysis. And I was so angry that there was no other doctor in the family to tell him, like, if we had done this differently, he would have been in a better place. So so I, I decided to become a, a physician because of that. So... After I finished my uh, medical school, I wanted to do continue to take care of adult patients. So I, I ended up in Baltimore in uh, Johns Hopkins and um, and started working in in um, the re research about biomarkers and genetics, which always fascinated me. And when I was doing that, my brother had leukemia. You know, one of those things that happened. Oh, wow. um, and I was doing epigenetics or leukemia at the time, just, you know, destiny sometimes happens or, you know, it's destiny or just, you know, the right place at the right time for me. Uh, and I decided to go full-fledged into hematology oncology. So um, I I helped uh, as much as I could my brother to navigate the waters of, of his treatment. I uh, moved to University of Miami for my fellowship in hematology and oncology. So, uh, so three years of internal medicine and three years of dual certification in hemonc. And got, of course, very passionate about research. And I did a little bit of a, a switch and started to focus more on the solid tumor aspect, which is, you know, cancer of, you know, solid organs. Even though I was very much into hematology, I wanted to broaden my perspective. Uh, so I joined uh, uh, the faculty at UPenn. So I was recruited as faculty there. And I, I was there for about five years. And, uh, you know, then Cancer Treatment Center of America. And then after, you know, five years as director of research there, I joined Capital Health. So now I work, uh, you know, serving the population of New Jersey and, and Pennsylvania uh, as director of research and helping to get patients the best options they can when they're dealing with cancer. Excellent. So the way that somebody would find you, um, would they find you uh, like as a di diagnosis is made in the hospital or are you in private practice um, somewhere else? How, to, how, how would a patient find you? Yes. Uh, so, uh, you know, we, know, we have a capitalhealth.org-cancer um, where, where you actually go there and look for the um, cancer center. So we're, um, we're basically reachable at any point when someone gets diagnosed with cancer. We, of course, have a referral system where Patients and the primary care doctors already make the referrals, so they come to my clinic um, in real time. Um, uh, you know, and I'm a very social media person too, so sometimes I direct, like, they can find me there and I direct them to the right place so they can get treated uh, or seen by by our team of experts. Uh, and, you know, for me, it's also about clinical trials. So anything that we can do to improve uh, accrual to innovative treatment options that are going to help not only the patients, but, you know, that not only themselves, but others in the future is all welcome. Yeah. So it sounds like for the, for the most part, people get a diagnosis from other physicians with other testings, and then they're directed toward, toward, towards you in the hospital. That is, is, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So um, you, you started medical school at 16, which is crazy to me because most people in this country start medical school in their 20s. How old were you when you finished? So that was an accelerated program. Uh, so... Um, the way it works in Colombia is there's this national test. So there's no, uh, of course, things are changing in the U.S., but uh, uh, the way uh, I got into medical school is that there's a national ranking test where there is 40,000 applicants and the first 100 spots make it to medical school and you pay nothing. 
So wow. it's basically oh, wow. free. Um, and if you finish in the top two of the class, uh, so you're going to do your cum laude, you actually get money um, to pay for different things. And I use that money for my first test to the U.S. So that's, uh, it, it's like, it is six years in total. Um, and in my six years, I did my internship, what they call it, which is basically a full rotation of multiple specialties. Uh, so I finished when I was 21, just, yeah, 21 and a half, yeah. And then I, uh, I did an extra year of social service where I work in three different hospitals, which is crazy. Uh, so I was managing an ICU. Uh, it's almost like, you know, going when people say like, go and do, you know, mid sense frontiers, like, uh, like doctors who are borders, mm -hmm. that's the same level of craziness. So wow. uh, it, it gave me a lot of experience for sure. Um, and exposure to how to handle difficult diseases and, 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 you know, real time activities. Uh, but I, of course I recommend, the more structured way that we do it here in the U.S. <laughs> I, have, and I, have, um, I have to ask yes. this. Um, you know, it, it, medical school was free from you, which is wonderful. It's like a benefit of the Colombian government, I guess. What made you want to leave Colombia and come to the U.S.? Well, I always wanted to do research. And even okay. though there's very good research in Colombia, it's not the, you know, the, the, the you know, in, United States is the, is the place to do research. There's no doubt about it. Like we had the best institutions, the most support, the understanding, the culture, the regulatory aspect, the sponsors of studies, the innovation is being here. So um, I, I think there was no other place that I wanted to be at for for me to pursue a research pathway, and and to you know I mean of course taking care of patients and, and having if you are working in a community based practice in rural Colombia who have been fulfilling for many folks, mm -hmm. uh, probably even for myself for a little bit. I always wanted to go a little bit further. Like I'm always this person who's looking for more things to do uh, to my own detriment sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, so uh, that that was one of the reasons why I wanted to come here uh, just to pursue that, you know, career pathway um, and, 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 you know, now, Excellent. Now that's been a long time ago. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, I, oh, I do want to hear more about this because it sounds like a fascinating story. But we need to take a break for some underwriting announcements. And we'll be right back on Health 411. You're listening to 107.7 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com. Health 411 Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. on 1077 The Bronx is underwritten by Capital Health. If someone you loved was sick, how far would you go to make sure they got the best care? Your mother, your sister, your best friend, your neighbor, your son? How far would you go for doctors who will meet with you longer so they really get to know you and who collaborate across disciplines so that they can devise a plan of care that's uniquely right for you? There's no doctor too far, no care too distant, that you wouldn't go there. And for more than 100 years, so has Capital Health. From our hospitals in Trenton and Hopewell, to our primary care offices all across Mercer, Bucks, and Burlington counties, to right here at Ryder University, Capital Health has the team of doctors, nurses, experts, specialists, and staff that you can count on to care as much about your loved ones as you do. Because you'd go to the ends of the earth if someone you loved was sick. And so do we, Capital Health. There's no appointment needed for this doctor's visit. Now back to the all-new Health 411, underwritten by Capital Health, Minds Advancing Medicine. 107.7 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com. Welcome back to Health 411. We're recording live in the Digital Bronx studios. We are continuing our conversation with Dr. Arturo Luisa Bonilla from Capital Health Medical Center, 
where Dr. Luisa Bonilla um, is involved with cancer, a special medical oncology and bloodborne cancers. Um, and one of the things that he was talking about was that uh, he came from Columbia, he went to medical school in the United States to pursue his interest in research. And is that something that Capital Health is getting more into now? Is that one of the reasons you came here? Yeah, actually, that was one of the main reasons I, I joined Capital. So Capital is is a you know it's a great health system because it's uh, you know it has so many primary care doctors. So the current doctor you go see, but um, they all kind of go into a big funnel where patients need specialty care. They come to the main campus. So to me, kind of like serving a local community that also has expansive opportunity for research is key. And um, one of the things we've been doing recently is that we're working in a more collaborative way across health systems. So uh, we became part of NCORP, which is the, you know, it's basically the National Cancer Institute is the big institute in the US, right? And they have a grant to um, provide clinical trials to, uh, you know, communities that are associated with, you know, community-based centers. So that's called the NCORP. Uh, so National Community Oncology Research Network or, or uh, consortia. And um, we are now part of it. So we are expanding our capabilities. We had a research program in the, in the past, uh, but one of the things that uh, attracted me to capital was the opportunity to grow a program even further and, uh, and give more options to patients as we have the room, we have the capacity, we have the, you know, the, you know, the, the, all the right amount of staff and, and, and you know, infrastructure to do so. So it was almost like, you know, a, a place where you can grow and expand further. Wow. So, uh, so, so, yeah. so, is, so is Capital Health going to get into the, the, so more of the NIH business there, writing, writing its own grants, making uh, that kind of stuff? Is that the, is that the, the future? Well, yeah. And, and, you know, it's interesting because there has been some effort already in the past, but now it's becoming even more relevant. So just recently, uh, the Cancer Center uh, working with the Bloomberg Institute uh, just got a, awarded uh, an, an NIH grant through SBIR for finding okay. biomarkers in patients with um, uh, genital urinary malignancy. So people have like, you know, kidney cancer, prostate cancer, those are GU kind of cancer types. So we're working with urology and the Cancer Center and Bloomberg Institute to uh, determine um, if there's any potential biomarkers that can be found in different you know, liquid biopsies or, or, or assessment of, you know, different fluids, so, you know, for example, urine or blood to detect cancer earlier uh, or in a much more um, meaningful way. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, I think this is all part of the, you know, part of the course as we expand our capability. And, and so is, is, so your enthusiasm for this, is this part of your being one of the founders for Massive Bio? Yes, okay, so you look me up, I guess. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, I, about eight years ago, I, I, you know, I was in, in an academic institution. I was at Penn at the time, yeah. and great institution. I love everyone there. I still talk to all of them. Um, but so that the, many of the patients who come to see me, they were already heavily pretreated, and they didn't have trial options available, even though we had good trials. We had ten, plenty of trials. But the patients were almost looking for our care when it was, you know, almost like the last option. Mm -hmm. And and I said, well, is there any way to maybe use data and, and technology to make things easier? Because at the end of the day, it's more about data organization and making it, you know, in a way that could be processed right away. 
and and then compare to the, stu the study options and then help patients to access clinical trials. So, uh, so that's that's where we inputted AI into the whole process and started to learn more about it and decided to go to the you know study in the MIT a little bit. You know those external courses about mm -hmm. AI and. And, and become more of, more than a enthusiast, a more hopefully a, a and, little bit more knowledgeable. And, and I'm and, sure you from from this from the patient perspective, um, I'm a lot of patients who have illnesses, especially the more difficult ones, would love to participate in clinical trials, and they just don't know how to do it. And not every physician stays on top of it. Is that part of the the mission of Massive Bio? Absolutely, it, it's just so hard for us. You know, we're all human, right? So just because we're doctors and we train a lot uh, doesn't mean that that we don't have the you know things that happen to us in terms of keeping up with everything so there are 14,000 clinical trials right now at clinicaltrials.gov available right so there's there's no way I'm going to be able to keep up with those trials in real time where they're open or not I can only control what I know in my center and I don't own everything so collaboration is essential and if a patient I want to know all my options so Having the opportunity to, you know, have the data fully structured using, you know, OCR, NLP, and all these, you know, capabilities, and then helping the oncologist and the patient to find those options locally and, and beyond in real time is really solving the problem that currently we have, which is, you know, out of 12 million patients, 0.1% enroll in a trial, 0.1%. But that 0.1% live longer and better quality of life than the 99.9% who didn't. And at the same time, 60% of clinical trials are closing before they accrue at least 50%. So they're just closing because of lack of accrual. So clearly it's just a communication connection channel that is missing that could be solved by technology and concert services. Well, so it sounds like the, the, the reach of massive bio is to connect uh, with the physicians and to make the physicians more aware uh, so the patients don't have to scroll through, you know, dozens and dozens of pages of the NIH website reading a language that they don't understand. Is that correct? That is correct. So instead of wow. spending an hour, you spend 17 seconds. So nice. <laughs> yeah. So wow, it's amazing to me that 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 something like this doesn't already exist because it seems like because you're right. There are a lot of clinical trials that are under enrolled. And it, 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 you know, to get the word out and to populate them on a massive level seems like a natural thing to me. Uh, yes, you know, th those ideas, you know, as they say, uh, you know, a lot of ideas have always been thought by a lot of people, but it takes someone to actually make it happen. Make it happen. So, so I think that's what happened in this case. <laughs> Well, good for you. And, and so, so and, and I guess that connects with your job at Capital Health, trying to increase the, 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 the amount, the depth, the, bre the breadth of kinds of things that are studied um, clinically at, at Capital Health Medical Center. That's correct? Absolutely. Yeah. So we want to make every single patient aware of their clinical trial options. And there's a number of trials that we can activate just in time. So basically, instead of opening studies for the sake of opening and have a crazy laundry list of things that we'll never have, we activate them as the patient becomes eligible. So this is the kind of partnerships I'm looking for right now and expanding them wow. further through and, the NCI and beyond. And, is, does, and you, you mentioned it, but I just want to ask you about, does artificial intelligence play a role in this? In scanning, yeah, in scanning medical records, yeah. sort of behind the scene kind of thing to see what's available? Yeah, exactly. So the OCR is optical character recognition. So basically, uh, 
through computer vision or readout of text, you can do that. Uh, and then you use natural language processing to find sentiment on those uh, different texts. So we can, if it's negative, you can say no cancer. If it's positive, it's etc. So, and then you use the um, for the AI, uh, including we're using actually now GPT-4 uh, by doing the characterization in real time of the study matching. So we know in real time what are the matches for the patient within the proximity. So we can activate them in, you know, sometimes yeah, go, go up faster. Wouldn't that be wonderful? I mean, I'm not a physician, but I'm a patient. Wouldn't it be wonderful if there was a, like, you know, a, a red button lit up on the, on the physician's screen saying this patient would be a good person for a clinical study that's going on now in your area. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Is that, is that, that would that, be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> if, if you can convince the electronic health record, um, companies to allow us to do that, we'll do it for free. Wow. Uh, but I, I think they'll charge a premium. Well, I think you can make that happen. That, that That's wonderful. Now, I'll, I'll try to make it work, I promise. <laughs> That'd be great. Now, so are, are, are the clinical trials you're doing limited to, uh, the, you know, blood-borne cancers, or is it more global than that? Yeah, all kinds of cancers. So, uh, and we're even doing for quality, of you know, quality care, for improving uh, symptoms, uh, checking on patients based on biomarkers. So, so it's all kinds uh, of um, studies. So this is a great, you know, opportunity of, to not only contribute to your own benefit, but the future of science, because we're really helping our patients yeah. and so, to discern. And, and, and there's a lot of research that's done, not necessarily on cancer, but other things, but it sounds like you've got to start somewhere um, and, and, make, and making those connections. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I want to hear more uh, about what's happening at Capital Health and the research. But again, we have to take a break at Health 411 for some brief underwriting announcements. And we'll be right back with our conversation with Dr. Luisa Bonilla. You are listening to 107.7 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com. Health 411 Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. on 1077 The Bronx is underwritten by Capital Health. If someone you loved was sick, how far would you go to make sure they got the best care? Your mother, your sister, your best friend, your neighbor, your son? How far would you go for doctors who will meet with you longer so they really get to know you and who collaborate across disciplines so that they can devise a plan of care that's uniquely right for you? There's no doctor too far, no care too distant, that you wouldn't go there. And for more than 100 years, so has Capital Health. From our hospitals in Trenton and Hopewell, to our primary care offices all across Mercer, Bucks, and Burlington counties, to right here at Ryder University, Capital Health has the team of doctors, nurses, experts, specialists, and staff that you can count on to care as much about your loved ones as you do. Because you'd go to the ends of the earth if someone you loved was sick. And so do we, Capital Health. There's no appointment needed for this doctor's visit. Now back to the all-new Health 411, underwritten by Capital Health, Minds Advancing Medicine. 107.7 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com. You're listening to Health 411, and we are continuing our conversation with Dr. Arturo Luisa Bonilla from Capital Health Medical Center and Massive Bio, which is a company that's in the business of connecting physicians and patients who are, in, um, who are potential uh, um, enrollees in clinical research involving cancer. Um, and, and Dr. Luisa Bonilla, it sounds like this the connection of making eligible patients aware that there are clinical trials that they're suitable for, it seems like a natural thing to me. Were you surprised that there was nobody doing that when you started doing it? Yes, uh, I was surprised, as you mentioned, because um, it, it just is common sense. So there's a lot of solutions that make sense, but just, you know, the, 
it's uh, sometimes this sense of inertia that, you know, we've always done it this way and there's no way to change it. Well, it's like, no, we can do changes, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's a way to do it. We just need to spend the time and the effort uh, to make this. So, um, and, and also, I think that doing it patient-centric is, gonna, is always the key. But it's the toughest one to get because in cancer, you know, patients are, are you know, moving across their treatment lines, the, the decision-making yeah. process. So it makes it more complicated. But it's easier than just simply put a software and sitting down in a in a clinic and just wait and see what happens, which is what, for example, those used to be the, you know, the IBM, IBM Watson. Mm-hmm. You remember from Jeopardy, they yes. didn't have a Watson answering the questions and all that. They invested millions of dollars and unfortunately the program went away because it was not patient-centric, it was provider and facility-centric, which, you know, it, the, the, the thing is the patient moves between hospitals. We need a system that is able to help the patient to find trials across health systems, across their cancer journey, because things right. change. So studies open and close and patient changes in treatment lines, in behavior of the cancer, in biomarkers that emerge based on clonal evolution. You as a biology professor know that better than most. So I think all of that has to be taken into consideration. And when the solutions were made without having the patient in, the, in mind because it was the hardest one to engage, then things fell through the cracks. So uh, I think uh, that that pan out to be positively in, in our perspective. Uh, and that's why we're still you know, up and coming, thriving, uh, supported by the National Cancer Institute and by the Cancer Moonshot now called the Cancer X. So oh, okay. uh, it's now a collaboration. Excellent. So is it also with international clinical trials or is it just centered in the U.S.? Uh, so, no, the idea is to make it very broad. So uh, right now, um, you know, I, I see requests from uh, all over the world. Uh, there's, so there's about 14 countries right now there's predominantly, but uh, the request can be from anywhere. So any cancer patient can always access those options. Cool. And so uh, I have to ask you, too, because you're coming in, you're a young guy, you got the new, and I, I'm going to say you're the young guy because I also saw you won awards for best physicians under 40 and, and things like that. So uh, that, that was a few years ago, so younger than 40. So. Okay, you're, you're still younger than me, so, but I, I could tease you a little bit about that. Um, so you're coming in, you're, you know, you're the hot shot, you're doing research in a, in a community it, that, you know, Hopewell, New Jersey and Capital Health has, doesn't have a hundred year history like Johns Hopkins does of do, you know, established kinds of research. Are you met with, are you being met with open arms? Like, yes, let's do it. Or is there some resistance from people who are just like been doing the same thing over and over and again? Um, like how, like how is the community embracing sort of this looking forward research um, path? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I can tell you they have received me with open arms just to be sustained on that errand. And, and, but it's also a learning environment, right? It's a brand new thing because research used to be reserved to those, you know, NCI designated cancer centers just by nature of that. And they, the community was kind of like the feeder to those centers. But once again, that was a problem because, you know, 85% of the patients in the United States are treated at community-based practices. That means that we're not meeting the patient where they are. And uh, and what we have seen is that everyone wants to be involved in research to some extent, but they don't want to see it as an extra burden to them or their patients. So we need to make their lives easier 
and make them realize that this is just standard of care, but with an additional component of oversight that typically is what we typically do with patients anyway. And so so it's, yeah. I'm just gonna ask you this question. Physicians, when they go to medical school are trained in medicine. They might necessarily be trained in research and what research is all about. Is that something that you've, you're having to have discussions about and encounter and work with your, your growing people about? Yes. Uh, so, you know, I, I have a master's in medical education. So I, uh, uh-huh. and so I, I also know handy. that <laughs> this is one of those things that we yeah. need to figure out yeah. uh, how to educate folks in different, um, you know, environments and, and research is one of them. Mm-hmm. So no one as, as physicians teaches us necessarily how to be researchers or how to be good communicators or educators. We just meant to be, you know, healthcare providers in, you know, for nurses, for physicians, for, you know, physical therapies and beyond. Uh, everyone goes through their scope, but they, no one teaches you how to teach or how to perform research. And it comes from a place where you really want to do it. But I think if we really want to make a difference in the United States, the world, and the field, everyone needs to be part of that ecosystem. Uh, so uh, I think that the main component is remove barriers, increase awareness of how we do it. I know it sounds fluffy and it's, oh yeah, like, you know, peace and love. No, we just need to tell people this is, you have to come here and and just see one patient on how we do it with research. It actually becomes exciting because it's interesting. We physicians, we, we love to follow recipes, right? This is what we do. We follow this, this, this. The protocol is exactly the same. It's making sure that we are following things to the, to the T of the protocol. And we have research coordinators. We have data managers. We have folks to help us around. So it's not really a, much of a burden. It's more a responsibility that we are taking care of the patient under that you know, FDA 1572 form that gives us the, the, the kind of puts the burden on me. I'm like the, you know, the bucket stops with me on, on the research study that I'm pursuing being a, the investigator. Okay. Uh, so sometimes the responsibility may sound overwhelming, but it's not. Um, we have seen very good examples of community-based research done, and they're actually amazing. They, they're sometimes even more successful than certain cancer institutes that are super elite. So uh, it's more a matter of a streamlined processing, being nimble and being open to change. Mm-hmm. What makes things uh, in yeah. a positive direction? I, I, and and I'm I'm, ha- I'm happy to hear that in our in our community um, that physicians are willing to do that. But do you also have some the golden standard in clinical research is the double blind placebo controlled trial. Are some people like resistant to that? Like, oh my God, I don't want one of my patients getting a placebo, or is is or, or is the standard of care the 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 like. Are studies being done where the standard of care is the comparison group as opposed to a placebo group? Yeah, so in cancer, we have that privilege, quote unquote, that um, for ethics purposes uh, uh, in yes. you know, design, we have now done almost by default that even the phase three, you know, there's phase one, phase two, mm-hmm. phase three clinical trials. The phase three is when you get typically randomized and double blind, as you mentioned. Uh, the, the control arm is typically the best available therapy or, um, you know, or is the standard of care uh, plus placebo. So you're, you're not getting any, you know, any less than a patient not being in the study. If anything, you get the extra benefit of being overseen by an extra team of physicians and, and nurses and, and, you know, team of research 
Uh, plus, they're checking your blood work, your, your CAT scans, they're making measurements or your, on your disease in a, you know, to the millimeter level. Um, so you, you get a lot of that based on being on a study. So uh, we no longer have that issue of the placebo controlled study being, uh, you know, the, the major deterrent. I think now is mostly awareness and, and concentration of studies in places where there's too many studies for the population of patients versus a scarcity of patients where they, they, they just go for, you know, you have a, a community-based practice that plenty of patients, but only one or two studies. Oh, that's, a, that's that, and you, again, interesting thing. If somebody is in a clinical study, can they only be at one at a time? Or can somebody yep. participate in multiple studies simultaneously? Yeah, no, so that's one of the criteria. So uh, because you, they don't want to confound results, mm -hmm. right? So you can only be on one study um, at a time. And also, typically, the, the treatment is not like you start treatment and then you can jump on the trial. That's what is so important to be screened for clinical trials before you make a final decision of your care. Because one dose of the treatment that even if it's part of the study will make you ineligible for the trial. That's why by design of the protocol. So uh, so the, the idea is that clinical trials need to be made aware almost at the time of diagnosis and at any point there is disease progression or changes in the cancer journey. But that being said, aren't there some clinical trials that are only effective if people have failed, if the treatments have failed up to that point? That's a, like a different kind of clinical trial. Are some of those happening yeah, too? So, so that's what we call line of therapy, right? So mm -hmm. there is, there, you know, there, there's all kinds of clinical trials. Mm -hmm. So there's interventional, there is registries, there's diagnostic testing. In, in the interventional ones, there are, you know, phase one, two, three, which is, you know, the things we mentioned, like phase one, two, finding the dose, phase three, randomized, phase three clinical trial for registration so we can get approved by the FDA. And phase four is when post, uh, it's observational post approval. Uh, but within those studies, there's also criteria for line of therapy. So it could be for treatment naive patients, or it could be for patients who have, you know, during second line, that means that they have already progressed after one line of treatment, or three lines or any line, if it's too far away, typically those are more like phase one studies uh, or biomarker specific based on the cancer type and the cancer genomics. So doing genomic testing is extremely important this time and age by broad panels looking for the gene uh, genomic makeup of the cancer and doing also RNA uh, and looking also for immunohistochemistry changes in the protein expression. On Excellent. And I do want to hear more about that because that's sort of the cutting edge of research we all hear about. But we have to take a break for our underwriting announcements on Health 411. We'll be right back. And right now you're listening to 107.7 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com. Health 411 Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. on 1077 The Bronx is underwritten by Capital Health. If someone you loved was sick, how far would you go to make sure they got the best care? Your mother, your sister, your best friend, your neighbor, your son? How far would you go for doctors who will meet with you longer so they really get to know you and who collaborate across disciplines so that they can devise a plan of care that's uniquely right for you? There's no doctor too far, no care too distant, that you wouldn't go there. And for more than 100 years, so has Capital Health. From our hospitals in Trenton and Hopewell, to our primary care offices all across Mercer, Bucks, and Burlington counties, to right here at Ryder University, Capital Health has the team of doctors, nurses, experts, specialists, and staff that you can count on to care as much about your loved ones as you do. Because you'd go to the ends of the earth if someone you loved was sick. And so do we, Capital Health. There's no appointment needed for this doctor's visit. Now back to the all-new Health 411, underwritten by Capital Health, Minds Advancing Medicine. 
107.7 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com. We are you are listening to Health 411, and we are continuing our conversation with Dr. Arturo Luisa Bonilla, um, who is doing um, or is, is helping launch and expand clinical research at Capital Health Medical Center. And at the end of the last segment, um, Dr. Luisa Bonilla um, talked about some things that I, I want to hear more about because. We, we hear a lot of, like, at least in my world as a biology professor, about genomic testing, genes for this, genes for that, and transitioning from the bench to the bedside is sort of the language for it. But by the time you get to clinical studies, some of that's translational. What kinds of things are markers are people looking for now for these bloodborne cancers? Yeah, so um, now we're looking everything. <laughs> so it became this very rich field yes. where um, it, doing genomic testing or comprehensive genomic profiling um, in omics as a whole became almost mandatory, particularly for cancers that are advanced. So, uh, so right is now, every, is every so uh, we, excuse me for interrupting. Is every biopsy is genomic testing done on every biopsy that's done now? Is that what you're sort of saying? Well, so if you have been diagnosed with a stage four advanced cancer, advanced cancer, the answer is you should, if you haven't. Uh, okay. It's one interesting thing is that we are seeing that is, uh, even though it's fully covered by insurance and we use it often, it's not done as often because once again, data, right? So too much data coming our way, too many patients, too much information, folks forget about it, including patients and and providers myself, you know, I don't remember see if I did testing or this new biomarker that now is approved by the FDA if I ever test for it, and I may have. So information data in real time is also becoming important. But just to your point, uh, if a patient that say, you know, I'm just making an example, lung cancer, right? right? Very the, one of the most common cancer in the world uh, with 200,000 cases a year in the United States alone. Um, this cancer now has nine FDA-approved biomarkers that we can target them when the patient is found to have metastatic disease. So in the doing testing on little samples that we just get for, from doing a biopsy on the lung with a, a fine needle is not going to give us enough DNA to make enough of, of that one by one of those assays. So now we do genomic testing for many genes. We do, Sometimes these panels have 400 different genes that we test. It doesn't mean that we have 400 treatments for those patients. We may eventually in the future, uh, and that's that's the goal. Uh, but what we know now is that we can use that information for treatment. Uh, so we have, you know, EGFR, A, and, you know, ALT, ROS, Entrac, Red, Med, uh, BRAF, uh, HER2, uh, and mutational burden. So it's basically all these crazy number of biomarkers, and each one of them has a drug. Some of them could be a pill that actually makes the difference of a life of a patient, like a friend of mine who, who got lung cancer, never smoker, a linguist mm -hmm. at Penn, all of a sudden had, you know, brain meds and, and from lung cancer, did a liquid biopsy, basically just drawing a blood sample. And that found the pieces of DNA uh, that the cancer released in the blood. We identified the mutation in EGFR and, you know, still non on treatment with an oral pill with complete response. So that's making the life difference for many patients now. So doing genomics and doing biomarker mm -hmm. testing became 
the quintessential treatment. And if you, if someone has cancer uh, in diagnosing advanced setting and they haven't had genomic testing, please ask for it. That's like my call to action. If I ever, you know, something in my plaque would be like that. It's like get genomic <laughs> testing because that's that make make the difference for you and, and for your future. And, and let me ask this: Do you recommend um, biomarker testing? for people who might not have cancer yet? Um, and I'm thinking like the BRCA2 genes and things like that. It's like people who have a high propensity for developing it, but are not, don't yet have a, don't yet have ovarian or cancer. Yeah, so uh, those are patients who have a strong family history mm -hmm. or they have a family member who just happened to be diagnosed with one of those cancers. So we do genetic counseling and then we test for that. So. So now gene testing has evolved. It used to be in the past mostly what you're describing, which is genetic testing, which is looking for germline changes that we were born with that predispose us to have cancers, such as BRCA gene mutations or Lynch syndrome, uh, which is, you know, changes that lead to endometrial colon cancer and beyond, uh, or, you know, strong family histories of some sort. And now evolved to looking for somatic genomic testing, which is looking at the DNA of the tumor itself that independently of the germline yeah. of the patient evolves into that genotype that makes it predisposing to certain, you know, responses to treatment. Either uh, it could be a, a predictive positive biomarker or it could be a negative predicted biomarker. Uh, means that you respond to a treatment versus not. But at the end of the day, more information, the better. So you can really get the targeted treatment that you're supposed to get. Has, has the word of epigenetics uh, made it into the clinic yet? Yes and no. Um, so it depends who you ask. <laughs> okay, well, right now I'm asking you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it, it, yeah, it, it, you, some people may not know it, but for example, Cologuard, you know the yes. the, the one in commercials yes. that they just check for the for like you give a stool sample and see if there's mm -hmm. malignant DNA from cancer, and then if you need to get a colonoscopy earlier, right? Everyone should be getting at 45. Just FYI. Um, then it's based on epigenetic changes that happen in certain genes. So. Uh, changes in methylation in certain genes, and those are epigenetic changes, uh, is part of those you know new things that we do. We're also using it for um, following patients who, for example, let's say someone had colon cancer and they got surgery and they have a stage two, which is basically a cancer that is not spread to the lymph nodes or like to the you know little escape pods around the organ, but is maybe taking the whole wall and you're on the fence giving the patient treatment to prevent it from coming back, would you give chemo for those patients? Now you can use epigenomics and fragmentomics in the bloodstream with deep sequencing to identify alterations that may tell you if the patient may need, uh, you know, adjuvant treatment or means treatment to prevent the cancer from coming back. So it's currently used in practice, but people may not identify them by by that name. But those technologies are now used in, in a number of patients. Excellent. And in earlier in our broadcast, I'm just going to shift gears just a little bit to make sure you get it in. Um, one of the things you mentioned is that you're very active in social media. And so if somebody wanted to follow you or uh, learn more about what you're talking about, how would they find you on social media? Or do you not well, want to so do not want to give that out to yet? That's you can say that, too, if you want. No, no, that's fine. No, yeah. So I'm not I'm no issue uh, talking to folks on yeah social media, as long as they don't come with craziness, right? Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm they sure they do often. Yeah, you know, there's certain limits of, of, of things that I reply to. But <laughs> if it's a cordial engagement or, or if it comes with something respectful, I'm, I'm happy to engage with anyone. Mm -hmm. um, so um, uh, it's in Twitter or X, 
Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's called X now. That's right. Is Dr. Bonilla Onk. So D R Bonilla B O N I L L A Onk as oncology. I'm also on LinkedIn. I'm the only Arturo Loaiza Bonilla in the whole web, you know, web. So um, if you know how to spell it, because the triple vowel of my Loaiza Basque origin last name is, is hard <laughs> to take from. Um, and people just say Bonilla and they can probably can find me. So um, uh, there, there's different ways to 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 really um, reach out to me. I'm on threads. Um, um, I have an Instagram account, but I typically don't share anything medical there. So, uh, uh, but I'm pretty accessible because I want folks to uh, see the opportunities there in cancer care and the intersection of AI and healthcare. So I'm, I'm all about it. Yeah, and I, I appreciate your, your your spending time with us to do this. This this has been a a great conversation, and there's a lot more I would I would love to sit down and talk to you about, but we are running out of time. Um, so, Dr. Otuluesa Bonilla uh, from Capital Health Medical Center, as, as well as Massive Bio, and that's his company that helps connect patients and physicians to clinical trials. Um, I want to thank you so much for participating um, in our conversation on Health 411. This is 107.7 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com. We're recording live from the Digital Bronx Studios. Thank you for listening. This program is part of Capital Health and Rider University's efforts to bring people together to address issues associated with all aspects of health and healthcare. We hope today's conversation with Dr. Arturo Luisa Bonilla um, has helped inform you about the things happening at Capital Health about biomedical research and sort of um, the expansion of community-based research into that practice. Thank you again, Dr. Luisa Bonilla. This has been a great conversation. If you have questions, so even me. great. If you have questions or comments about this program, or want to make suggestions for future broadcasts, please email us at help411 at rider.edu. Remember, you have a doctor's appointment scheduled for every Sunday at 10 a.m. Don't miss the all-new Health 411 with Dr. Jonathan Karp and our expert medical guest from Capital Health. You can listen to Health 411 anytime on demand. Go to 1077thebronc.com slash health411 to listen to past episodes or tune in every Thursday at 9 a.m. to hear the weekend rewind edition of Health 411. Health 411 on 1077thebronc is underwritten by Capital Health, Minds Advancing Medicine. Capital Health is the region's leader in providing progressive quality patient care with exceptional physicians, nurses, and staff as well as advanced technology.